Well, let's uh, talk to God before we get into his word. Father, as your name deserves, you will be praised to the ends of the earth. You are our God forever and ever, and you will guide us until we die. That is your promise. That's part of that full package that you gave us in Christ when we said yes to him and no to ourselves. And my guess is this morning as we talk about the Holy Spirit's guidance, that points of view are all over the map. And my prayer is that we would be able to listen to you, hear from you, and be deeply impacted by you as the Spirit ministers to us this morning. We understand that the Holy Spirit was designed, was given, not, not just so we could make much of him, but so that he, through us, could make much of you and your son. And that would be our prayer this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and joy in it all, in Jesus' name. Amen. About 150 years ago, there was a missionary from Scotland who'd made his way to the South Seas, chain of islands east of Australia. Back then, it was called the New Hebrides when it was under Scotland's control. Today, it's called see if I can pronounce it, Vanuatu, Vanuatu. And he was on a little island called Aniwa. His name was John Patton. He had gone to the South Seas, uh, a different island, uh, six years earlier, and uh, was ministering among a tribe of cannibals, still eating human flesh. Uh, In the first year he was there, uh, he buried his wife, and then just several weeks after her, buried his newborn son, ministered there for about four years until uh, there was such danger that a ship came and uh, rescued him and another missionary from the island. They went back to Australia and then back to Scotland to raise money and to uh, point out the need for uh, for the gospel to come to these islands. Remarried and went back to this different island, Aniwa. And as uh, began his ministry there, they had never... um, heard the gospel there, and he's just trying to build relationships with the, with the tribe. And one of the things that was a common problem on the island was a lack of good, clean water. And so there was a lot of disease that came as a result of that. It was a threat not only to them, but to the islanders. And uh, John decided that he was going to dig a well. Well, this was absolutely bewildering to the people there because in their minds, water came from above, not from below. And the idea of digging a hole in the ground was just kind of ludicrous. Uh, but they started to build one and started to dig this well anyway. And John had given some fish hooks to some of the tribesmen to help him dig this hole in the ground. They got down to about 12 feet and the well collapsed. And the old chief there that um, was the first convert, Patton's uh, Namaki, said, uh, this is a mistake. He said, if, John, if you would have been down in that uh, hole when it collapsed, you would have been killed. 
the Navy would have come from your country and said, why, why, was John, why is John dead? And say, well, he got into a hole and it collapsed on him. And they would say, no white man would ever do this. And so they would blame us and they would shoot us with their guns. And so this is a bad idea. It's going to cost you your life and it's going to cost us our lives. And John says, no, no, no. Don't worry, we're going to get water from this well. He didn't know at that point for sure that that was actually going to happen. He was afraid it was going to be brackish and sandy and salt waterish when he got down there. But he got down to about 30 feet. And he told Nakami, he says, tomorrow, tomorrow, Jehovah God is going to give us clean water. And tomorrow, clean water came in, a 30-foot well. And it became a supply for all of the tribe as well as Patton and his family. Now, reading his journals, we're not really sure what happened. How did he know that they were going to strike water tomorrow? Was it just that the ground was damp and moist there? Or did God speak in some fashion to John Patton and let him know tomorrow is going to be the day when you're going to get fresh, clean water? We've been talking this week, these weeks about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God himself. He is a person. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not an aspect. He's not a manifestation. He is God. And the greatest news is that he lives within the lives of every believer. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your life to live, not just as a kind of an academic reality, but as really the central operating system in the life of the believer. Uh, he is the one through in whom we pray. He is the one uh, by whom we walk. He is the one by, by uh, whom we worship. And he is the one who guides us. And so let me ask you a question this morning, Christian. Has the Spirit ever told you what to do? Has he ever told you when to do something? Or has he ever told you to do something other than you were planning to do? Or told you not to do something? There are some Christians who think that God tells them to do everything, including which shirt to wear on Wednesday and which coffee mug to use on Monday. And you have that side of the spectrum, but my guess is that there are some of us on the far other side of the spectrum, which basically says, God is silent. He never speaks to me. And yet I'm here to tell you this morning, he does speak, and he can speak, and he will speak. And I want to have us look at an interesting passage in Acts chapter 16, beginning of verse 6, to see... Uh, an example of this and there's a lot that we can learn from it Acts chapter 16 beginning at verse 6 some of you um, know about the uh, concern we have some family connections here at Keystone of a um, young man who is missing up north of Pittsburgh from this area originally um, Ryan Martin and last night uh, as I was praying for him I thought God this would be a great time for your spirit to speak clearly to one of the searchers where he's at these were a couple of apostles that were on a missionary journey 
And beginning of verse 6, it says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. When you read that line, does that surprise you? Did it ever occur to you that the God has a, there's a, there's a, a lot of good things to do in the world, but God might not ask you to do this. He might ask you to do that. In other words, there might be a precision about how God goes about the business of his ministry because surely the gospel would be of benefit in this place, but they were kept from the province of Asia at that time. And then coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. And so instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Last year, Betty and I were in Macedonia in Greece, and we were at the spot that tourists are typically taken to where Lydia was supposedly baptized. And that's the verses following this, is Paul meeting Lydia, leading her to faith in Christ and baptizing her, and she was the first convert in all of Europe. This was the invasion of Europe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I, I think, just as a side note here, as a, as a guy that's preoccupied with mission, I think this is a reminder that th though there's a lot of good things to do, there's a lot of good places to go, the question is, for us individually, where does God want us to go? Where does he want us to be? And then corporately as a church, where does he want us to go? Where does he want us to to be because it's not necessarily everywhere. And this is a, I find this story absolutely fascinating. Here are a couple of apostles, <clears throat> a couple of guys that were raised up and to go with authority and carry the gospel message to the nations, uh, to lead people to Jesus Christ, to disciple them, to plant churches. And they have a plan. How they came up with it, I have no idea. Maybe they looked at the map and said, Asia is the next most logical place. We're going to the northwest uh, from, uh, from Jerusalem. Let's head, let's head over here to the province of Asia. Seemed logical. Or maybe they had gotten word from some people that they had already led to Christ elsewhere who said, you know, we had, we had made some trips up into Asia. There are a number of believers that we led to Christ there now, and maybe you should go visit them on one of your missionary journeys. We have no idea why they plan to go where they plan to go. But this was their route. This is where they were going to go. But there, there was an openness, a willingness to be interrupted or to have their plans set aside in favor of what God's plans were, in favor of what the Holy Spirit said to, said to them. Now, my first point this morning, and it's a really, really important point. Uh, to me, it's more important than where we're going to go from here. And that is that we cultivate, first of all, a, a heart that listens for the Holy Spirit because that has to happen before we can listen to the Holy Spirit. Say, so what do you mean? 
If there's, nothing, if, if there's no um, attentiveness to the Holy Spirit, thinking that he might speak to us, he's probably not going to speak to us. That's not well put. We're probably not going to hear him speak to us. All kinds of communication can be take, might be taking place, or some communication might be taking place, but because we're not listening for the Holy Spirit, we don't hear what he says, so we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. That was not the case with Paul and Silas. They had their radar uh, uh, attuned to the Holy Spirit, and so he was able to interrupt their plans. And so verse 6 says, even though they were planning to go to Asia, the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. And then again in verse 7, they headed north to the province of Bithynia, but again the, whole, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Now, how in the world were they stopped? What kept them from going to these particular areas and instead going somewhere else? I don't know that. Could have been any number of things. We know that Paul had some health problems. Maybe he got sick at one place and, and thought, this must be God saying, I shouldn't go here. Or maybe they, were, uh, maybe they had a prophet at Lystra or Derby in one of the churches where they were visiting um, and spoke the word and said, uh, Paul, you're not supposed to go here. We don't know exactly what it was that the Spirit, how he communicated to them. Did, did he speak audibly? Did he speak out loud to Paul? Perhaps. We have other instances in the book of Acts where that, that happened. But it might well be that it wasn't anything audible, that it wasn't a prophet per se, but simply this testimony of the Holy Spirit within a person's heart. It's interesting, over the years, you know, I've been kind of in... Uh, in this era back in especially in the 90s and early 2000s where there's a lot of, there's been tension between charismatic people and charismatic churches and non-charismatic people and non-charismatic churches and as I've talked with folks on both sides of the aisle and if you haven't figured out by now I'm kind of in the middle um, we'll get into more detail about what that means next next week but it's interesting, uh, my charismatic friends say I, I hear God from God and God speaks to me and my non-charismatic friends say, that doesn't happen. And I say, did you ever have some sort of um, inner witness that seemed like God was prompting you to do something or not do something? Oh, yeah, I've had that. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't see the difference. When God speaks to the charismatic and they're willing to say, God spoke to me, versus the non-charismatic, I had this impression in my mind that God wanted me to do something or not do something. I'm like, that, that, that's the God the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And you don't have to have a particular theological grid to hear from God unless the grid says God doesn't speak to us today outside of the scriptures. And this is the, this is the um, communication means that I want us to camp out on a little bit this morning. This idea of God prompting us in some way to say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want, this is what I have to say to you, this is who I want to send you to. I haven't had this happen in a big way, um, what I consider a big way, a, a, a lot in my life, but it has happened on a couple of occasions. Um, before I go on, let me, let me just clarify that statement, because I, I want you to hear something this morning. I th 
people who research these things, and I don't know how they came up with these numbers, but they claim that we make 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day. I'm tired already. I mean, that just sounds exhausting. I, I don't know what all that in, includes, but it starts in the morning when the alarm clock goes off and some of you decide whether or not you're going to hit the snooze. I decide how many times I'm going to hit the snooze button. That's a decision we make. And then we get up and we decide, are uh, we going to have coffee before breakfast or during breakfast or after breakfast? Am I going to shave before I shower or shower before I shave? So all kinds of decisions we make. These folks tell us that we make 226 decisions a day just based on food. What am I going to eat? What am I going to put on what I eat? When am I going to eat? What am I going to have on the plate and then not finish? What am I going to have for a snack? On and on and on. And I don't think that the Holy Spirit speaks into all those decisions. I don't, speak, I don't think that uh, probably he doesn't speak into um, many of those decisions, if any. And he may not speak in these kinds of ways for weeks at a time. But my point is this morning, not how often he speaks, but that he speaks. And probably the most significant time that the Holy Spirit has spoken into my life and I'm talking now about, I'm talking about the, the promptings of the Holy Spirit that are not coming up out of the scriptures. And so I was 25 years old. My wife was pregnant with our first child. And some of you have heard these uh, two stories I'm about to tell. Bear with me. Um, I had been baptized when I was 11, uh, grew up in the church, um, was involved in ministry at our church. My wife and I were uh, youth leaders there for a while variety of ways that we were involved in ministry. And I, there was a day, and I don't remember the uh, circumstances of that day, this is what I remembered, that there was an impression on my mind that didn't come from, it was nothing that I was thinking of, it didn't make sense even that I would have said it or thought it, and so I'm, I'm scratching my head, where's this coming from? But I think in hindsight, it was God the Spirit speaking to me, and this is what he said. You're not only going to be responsible to feed and clothe your daughter and to provide for her, but to spiritually parent her. And, and this is probably as close to an, uh, an audible voice as I've ever heard because to this day I remember the precise wording of the statement. And you have nothing out of which to do that. And I thought, what? I'm a Christian, I do all this stuff in the church, I've been baptized, I'm a Christian husband, going to soon be a Christian, what do you mean? And that led me on a journey over the next six months that ultimately led to true, authentic salvation, and I was saved. But I was saved as I, I could have continued to live this pseudo-Christian life, this phony Christian life, and never, if, if God had not gotten in my way and spoken to me on that day, God, I knew that there were some things in my life that weren't right. I knew that I was a different person at work than I was at home and especially at church. But I would never have dreamed that I wasn't a Christian. Holy Spirit spoke and saved my life. The other significant time when the Spirit spoke to me. I was in uh, my last year in seminary, and I was doing an internship uh, with a friend of mine. We had been at uh, Lancaster Bible College together. He graduated a couple years ahead of me, and we lost track. Uh, 
of each other until the day, first year, my first year in seminary, um, here I bumped into him at a school north of Chicago. And uh, turned out that he had gone as a young adult pastor at this church in Chicago, taken a position. Uh, there had been a blow up in the church, senior pastor left, and he ended up becoming senior pastor of a church of about 500. And so I became an intern there my last year in seminary. And one of my responsibilities as an intern was to sit in our, on leaders meetings. Uh, they didn't have elders, but they had deacons, and they did the same thing as our elders do. And so one night, I was uh, I left work early. There was a deacon's meeting, and I was traveling down the tollway and uh, just praying uh, over the meeting, um, going down through the agenda in my mind. I had, I had nothing at stake. I was going to leave the church in about four or five months and hopefully find a, a ministry. But as I was praying through the things that were going to be discussed that night, it seemed as if... Uh, God said, I don't want to have Chuck move ahead with this proposal to end Sunday night services at the church. Now, this was back um, 1990, and if you're old enough to remember back in the day in the 1980s, 1970s, 80s, and early 90s, there were a lot of churches who measured whether or not your church was a good church by whether or not you had Sunday evening service. And if you were getting rid of Sunday evening service, that meant you were going liberal. But Chuck was going to propose that that night, that they enter Sunday uh, evening services and that they begin small group ministry. And I was in favor of that. But the further down the tollway I drove, the more convinced I was becoming that that was not God's plan. And this was weird. This was not a world that I moved in. Uh, to get messages from God, by and large, and furthermore, the church that I was interning in was definitely not into those sorts of things. By the time I pulled into the parking lot of the church, I I thought, at this point, I'm going to be disobedient if I don't try to talk to Chuck before the meeting. Now, the chances of that happening were almost non-existent um, because Chuck had another meeting before the deacon's meeting, And so it could be that that meeting was going to run right up against the other one. So I said, God, if you want me to talk to him about this, you're going to have to find a way for me to get alone with him. I went inside the church, went to the secretary's office. She was in that night. And I said, is Chuck in? Uh, Is Chuck around? She said, yeah, he's in his office. I said, is anybody with him? She said, no. I said, may I go in? She said, yes. I went in. I sat down in the chair. I closed the door. I closed the door first. And I said, Chuck, I don't know how to say this. This is kind of uh, awkward and weird. Um, I know this is not the kind of thing that you or your church is accustomed to. I'm not accustomed to. All I can say is I think God told me to tell you that you're not to propose the Sunday night cancellation tonight. And I said, I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. I might have had bad fish for supper. No. All I know is that this is what God seems to be saying. And I said, it's up to you. The ball's in your court. I've done what I think God asked me to do. I got up. He thanked me, and I left. And we went into the meeting, and he began going down through the agenda. We covered this. We covered this. We covered this. We covered this. We didn't cover this. And we went to this, this, and this. 
And for the next remaining four or five months that I was at that church, that was never brought up again. Was it God? I think so. Would I be able to say with 100% uh, certainty it was? No. And this is one of the things that's going, it's very important. If we are trying to heed the Holy Spirit, there has to be a, there has to be a great deal of humility involved. Because the Holy Spirit voice is an, the Holy Spirit voice that I'm describing now is what I'm going to call an uncertain voice. We could get it wrong. We are still marked by sin. We're still marked by confusion. This is an uncertain voice. And that's the reason that Paul says here, I think, or that Luke says in verse 10, so we decided to leave from Macedonia at once after this vision of the man from Macedonia. We decided to leave for there at once having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. In other words, I think there was some assessment they had to make regarding this vision. It wasn't necessarily a slam dunk that it didn't say they got up and went to Macedonia. They had to do some evaluation. Is this God's word for us regarding going to Europe? You see this same thing again in Acts chapter 19, verse 21. It says, Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. This is another time he goes to Macedonia. But he felt compelled by the Spirit. In other words, I think he would say, I didn't hear an audible voice. I felt this impression. I felt this nudging to do this. I felt compelled by the Spirit, just like I thought I was being led by the Spirit to go to Asia in Acts 16, but it turned out I was wrong. I had a woman come to me that I was doing premarital counseling for her and her husband-to-be. She came to me six weeks before her wedding date. She had called me up. She was in tears. She said, I got I to gotta talk to you. I said, okay. We set up a time. She came into my office. She was by herself. And she, said, she said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, tell me what happened. She said, I was at church uh, last Sunday, and she said, a woman came up to me. And she put her hand on my arm, and she said, uh, I'll call her Carmen. She said, Carmen, God told me to tell you you're not to marry I'll call him Richie. And she said, I don't know what to do. She said, I don't want to go against God's will, but I love this man. I think God's brought us together. I don't know what to do. Well, I said, what has God said to you? And she said, I I think I'm supposed to marry him. I said, well, don't you think God could confirm that in your spirit too, as well as giving that message to this woman? She said, yes. I said, well, then you pray to the Lord and you ask God to confirm one way or the other. Because this is terribly, terribly important. If we don't take a humble attitude about this, we can do a world of damage. People who run around saying, thus says the Lord, God told me to tell you, and they say it just like that, are terribly destructive to potentially to the work of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this voice of the Holy Spirit is an uncertain one. And this uncertain voice 
is designed to be tested by the Holy Spirit's certain voice. This one. Can I get an amen in that? This uncertain voice, that I, this impression that I get in my spirit that God is speaking to me is meant to be tested by the certain voice. First Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me read these verses for you. You don't need to turn to it. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture, that should be prophecy of Scripture, ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Now, these, he's not just talking about like the prophecies of Isaiah and Jeremiah about future events. He is talking about prophecy as a kind of a synonym for all of God's truth, Bible. And when the Bible writers, i.e. the prophets, when the Bible writers speak, they're not just speaking their own philosophies, good ideas that they've accumulated over years of experience and wisdom. They were speaking the ideas that the Holy Spirit carried them along with and gave them so that they could put down and record for us. In other words, the message from Scripture has been, has been uh, coming not just from Micah and not just from Moses and not just from uh, Ezekiel, uh, not just from Luke and not just from Paul. The words of Scripture are coming from the Holy Spirit. This is the certain voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we start with what the Spirit says in the Scriptures. We can get way off base with the uncertain voice of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we think the Holy Spirit says something, but he's actually not saying it. Jesus criticized the Sadducees in Matthew chapter 22 for this very problem. When they were talking to him about uh, their hypothetical situation, they were trying to trap him. And they raised the question about a woman who was married to a man and then her husband died. And then her husband's brother uh, followed through on the Jewish principle of Leverite marriage. And he asked this woman to marry him and, so that he could have children in his brother's name. And then that brother, though, died. And, and so she married another brother and on and on and on until she had married seven brothers and they all died. You would think at some point one of these brothers would say, ah, not me. But the question is, so when she dies and goes to heaven, whose wife is she in heaven? She's been married to all these men. And this is what Jesus says to them in reply in verse 29. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. And this is a mistake that I see with some people who are listening for the Holy Spirit and thus listening to the Holy Spirit but they are all over the map they're, because they're listening to this uncertain voice and they're not listening to this voice well. It, it, it's like any cockamamie idea can come out and they stamp on it, Holy Spirit told me to say so. And I want to say, did you check for ID? There should be some verification. This is just, this doesn't make any sense. What you're, what you're saying God told you to do uh, is, is really borderline crazy or even even evil we have to know what the certain voice of the holy spirit is that's going to help us in a big way with the uncertain voice 
And we should test, as the scriptures say, test the spirits. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. So that's why we encourage you when you listen to a preacher, when you read the words of an author, when you read a blog, uh, test them because there's a lot of garbage out there. Test them and see whether or not they speak for God. And the easiest way to test them is whether or not what they're saying lines up with a certain voice of the Holy Spirit in, in the scriptures. Um, so you have a question. You're single and you want to know, should I get married and who do I marry? Now, the Bible is not going to tell you, get married to Beyonce. I, it's not going to tell you, get married to Barbara either. But point being, it's not going to give you that kind of specificity. And so the Holy Spirit might tell you one day, this is the man or this is the woman you're going to marry. But we know some things from the certain voice of the Holy Spirit about marriage. We know, for example, that some people will never get married. Not because they're unappealing or unattractive, but because God has given them the gift of singleness. And the Bible describes it as a gift from God. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. We also know from Scripture that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be marrying another believer. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Should be marrying another believer. So we know a few things about marriage, but we don't know the specificity. And so the Holy Spirit might convey that to you. You say, should I be getting a different job than the one I have? Well, again, we, don't, we can't look into certain voice of the Holy Spirit and get that information. Should I quit my job at the auto parts store and try to get a job, you know, in landscaping? We don't know that from Scripture, but we know some basic things. We know, <clears throat> we know for example, that we shouldn't uh, have a job that displeases the Lord. So, no, you shouldn't quit your job as a nurse and become a call girl. That's a bad idea. You shouldn't quit your job at the bank where you're not making a lot of money and get a job with a loan sharp where you can make three times as much money. There's some basics that the certain voice of the Holy Spirit will give us, but then the other particulars, God may choose to speak into our lives, and he may not. To, may not. And when he doesn't, I think we're free to move with what we think's best, just like the Apostle Paul did. I thought it was best that we go to the, to the province of Asia, but the Holy Spirit can intervene if he feels the need to. That's going the wrong direction. Now, the last piece that we want to take away from this passage is the need to obey the Spirit's voice. So if the Spirit has prompted you, obey His voice. What happens? The Spirit stops these guys from going where they were going and instead gives them a vision about the man from Macedonia and voila, next they find themselves in Europe with a European mission, having concluded that that's what they're to do. Do what you think the Holy Spirit is telling you to do without needing to be 100%. One more example, Acts chapter 15, verse 28. <clears throat> Acts 15, 28. For it seemed, this is in the wake of the council at Jerusalem where they're trying to decide what are we going to ask of these Gentile converts? Do they have to keep all the dietary laws of the Jewish converts? Do they have to keep all the law of Moses? 
And the response of the, the, the council is, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. I think it would be fair to redo uh, this verse. The spirit of it is, it seemed to us that the Holy Spirit was leading us to say, this is all we need. That they're trying to discern, what does the Holy Spirit say? How is he guiding us? And my guess is that they weren't 100% sure that this was right, but this is the best they could determine and they're going to move with it. Don't hesitate stepping out on what you think you know best. God loves you. He's a communicating God. If you are making, taking a misstep, he can straighten you out. Here's what I wonder about for some of us that we are so afraid of doing the wrong thing and maybe looking foolish that we just don't bother taking the risk of obeying what we think we know the Holy Spirit is leading us to do. And this is a theory of mine. Every time we disobey the Holy Spirit scripture, in other words, the certain voice of the Holy Spirit, or the uncertain voice, the Holy Spirit promptings. Every time we disobey, it diminishes our ability to hear him. And conversely, every act of obedience improves our hearing. When we say yes to the Spirit, it makes us more likely to hear him the next time. Three admonitions for us as we wrap up. One, pray for guidance. I've I, I found in my own life, and I think others have as well, that the more I am in contact with the Lord through prayer, the more I tend to hear from him. And conversely, when I'm not praying much, I'm not hearing much. So pray to the Lord for guidance. Uh, begin to pray that God would plant the seed of expecting to hear from the Holy Spirit. Pray for guidance. And then listen for guidance. How many of you have ever in your life had a hunch that you should do something? Raise your hands. You had a hunch. All right. Christians don't have hunches. Christians have the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? We have the Holy Spirit. Look at those hunches. Maybe this is God speaking to me. Maybe this is God guiding me. Maybe God has a plan for me. Take the risk. Okay, if it turns out that it was nothing. You don't have to prove to yourself or prove to anybody else that you are Joe spiritual, gets it all right. And then lastly, learn to recognize the uncertain voice of the Holy Spirit by familiarity with his certain voice in Scripture. That means we become men and women, boys and girls of the Word. We learn to recognize the uncertain voice of the Holy Spirit by increasing familiarity with his certain voice of Scripture. Let me pray for us. Thank you, Father, for the word, your certain voice. And thank you for the Holy Spirit's promptings within us, a less certain voice but valid just the same and I would pray for me and for all my brothers and sisters father that we would be um, would not just be academic Christians that we know a bunch of stuff about the God who saved us and the God who lives in us 
but that we'd be relational Christians, that, that we would have a renewed understanding that, that we're not just saved. We're in fellowship with you. We're in harmony with you. And just like our relationships with our spouses or our friends, that means a relationship in which communication takes place. Us communicating with you, and yes, you communicating with us. Fine-tune our interest in and our ability to listen for your voice. Train us, mature us, so that we can be more attentive to what you're saying, that our lives could begin to bear the fruit of your voice more and more. And, and that, that in our church, we are, become the beneficiaries of this voice more and more, both for, by what we hear and by what others bring to us and share with us. We also pray, Lord, for this kind of humility to be able to say, I think this is what God is saying to me. And be willing and able to be corrected and comfortable with that, okay with that, whether it's the correction of another believer or the correction of the Holy Spirit as it was here for Paul and Silas. We thank you so, so much that you live in us even today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.